Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Hi, welcome to Cisco Champion Radio, episode 16 from season 2. Today we'll be talking about the latest updates to the CCIE wireless exam. I'm Rachel Bacher, and I will be moderating this episode. Our special guests today are CCIE program manager from Cisco, Eric von Kunderbeek, and his CCIE wireless expert colleagues, Jerome Henry, Stephen Orr, and Carlos Alcantara. And we also have our Cisco champions as guest hosts, Sam Clements and Andrew Von Nagy. So we have a great group today. So let's start out with our Cisco subject matter expert and his colleagues. Eric, how about introducing yourself first? Thank you, Rachel. Uh, my name is Eric Van Kinderbeek. Uh, I'm the CCA Wireless Exam Product Manager. I'm based out of uh, Brussels, Belgium. And as uh, the product manager, I'm responsible um, for the CCIE wireless uh, written and uh, lab exam. Excellent. And Jerome? Hi, my name is Jerome Henry. I'm based in RTP. Um, I've been involved in developing courses and exams for a long time, and uh, Eric Friendly allowed me to help him work on this uh, CCIE wireless exam. Perfect. And Stephen? Uh, Steve Orr, I'm a Distinguished System Engineer for the U.S. Public Sector at Cisco. Um, I've been helping Eric with uh, the CCI wireless exam since uh, Rev 1.0 uh, written and lab exam. So happy to be here. Awesome. Thanks for coming. And Carlos. Hello, I'm Carlos Alcantara. I'm a Consulting System Engineer for the South uh, Network Transformation Group, and I've been helping uh, Eric with the content development for the lab exam. Thank you. And uh, Sam, we're going to start with our uh, Cisco champions now, Sam Clements. Excellent. I'm uh, Sam Clements on Twitter at Samuel underscore Clements, and uh, I am a CCIA wireless and um, just generally passionate about the subject. Cool. And last but not least, Andrew. Hi, I'm Andrew Von Eggie. I'm a CCIA wireless, and I'm a mobility architect uh, for a managed service provider. Great. Okay. I'm going to stay silent now and let you guys um, start with the awesome questions. Go. Well, so this is Sam, and obviously, you know, I think uh, first and foremost, I think uh, obviously we're here to talk about the the refresh for the CCIE wireless exam, both the the written and the lab, and I and I think probably a good place to start is going to be, you know, an overview. What's different? What's what's new, unique, and and those that are looking to sort of tackle the program, what uh what changes have we seen since version two? I think it's probably a really really good place to start. Eric, that's you. <laughs> yes, uh, that's uh, definitely a good place to uh, start, Sam. Um, I would think compared to version 2, there are two major differences. Uh, one is the exam format itself, which is going to change in, in V3 uh, versus uh, V2. 
and I'll uh, definitely highlight uh, what new exam format or at least the new lab exam format will look like myself. Um, uh, the second major update, of course, is the update in, in technology uh, topics as well as, as products, uh, hardware and, and software versions. And I'll uh, definitely give some of my subject matter experts the, the opportunity to uh, fill in, uh, to provide you the details as they do, uh, are not only experts, but they do work on the, on the technology and reach out to customers on a daily basis. So let me... Uh, answer part one, uh, which is uh, what's going to change uh, about, about in the exam format. Now the written uh, is going to remain unchanged. Un unchanged. The lab format, however, is going to change in the sense that it won't look the same as in V2. In V2 we had one eight-hour uh, lab module, which uh, was all about configuring and, and troubleshooting. Uh, now we'll still have that same module, but it won't be eight hours anymore. It will be um, only seven hours, and we'll be adding a diagnostic module. So the diagnostic module um, is a new module which we introduced in, in, in routing and switching uh, before, and from a format point of view, it, it's similar to a written exam. Um, each diagnostic module um, does contain multiple scenarios that are uh, totally independent um, and are virtual. Um, what does that mean? So uh, a candidate will walk in and will be presented a scenario that contains a set of, of, of uh, information. Um, in uh, analogy, what uh, is presented or uh, I would say what will happen if you reach out to tech uh, for a networking uh, issue. So the, the set of information that will be presented to, to the candidate will be uh, an email thread, uh, could be show uh, output, debug outputs, uh, console logs, uh, sniffer traces, uh, network diagrams. Uh, um, uh, all that uh, kind of information that typically would be exchanged between um, a customer and, and a tech engineer. And then you will be, or the candidate will be asked questions like, hey, um, an example, where in the document is the most important clue about the root cause or what information is missing uh, in order to be able to confirm a root cause, um, etc. or what would be the next troubleshooting steps. And it won't be open-ended in the sense that everything will be closed down. Um, so you'll basically need to pick an answer from a drop-down menu or it will be a click and point um, kind of question um, where we basically will be analyzing uh, troubleshooting skills. So we are uh, interested in, in finding out if the candidate has the necessary troubleshooting skills. We're not particularly interested uh, to find out if a candidate can actually come up with the answer or can actually correct the issue. That's a skill that we will be able to diagnose in the configuration and troubleshooting um, section um, itself. Well, so, so this isn't this isn't the first format change for the CCA wireless exam. I think V1 we were we were we had the OEQ format. I think at the very very beginning for a, for a certain period of time, and then version two went away with OEQ and was was uh, paper delivery. I think at the at the beginning, and now we're we're changing up to having this diagnostic module. What's the, obviously the the diagnostic. Uh, uh, information is is an interesting aspect of of the CCI. What other are there other CCI tracks that are using that? You said route switches today. 
Yes. And, uh, this is Rachel. Sorry to interrupt. Just uh, want to make sure that we don't um, discuss anything that's no, but it's a fair question, um, and, and, and to answer that, we, uh, we we found out that it's important to assess this skill. Uh, so um, I'm not uh, saying it will be introduced in each and every track, uh, but uh, for sure, I mean, and this is kind of off topic, but service provider uh, was also, uh, a revision was announced and, and we are also going to introduce a di diagnostic module there. So it's uh, definitely uh, a new uh, or uh, it's, it's a skill worth uh, investigating. Hi, this is Andrew. Um, so is the diagnostic section really focused on determining a candidate's ability to logically synthesize information and think through a problem and identify the next steps um, more so than actually implementing um, corrections and changes widget, yeah. such as in the configuration and troubleshooting section? That's, that's uh, yeah, a very correct statement. So it's, uh, you'll be presented a, a lot of information. You'll uh, need to make a decision, hey, which information is relevant, which is important, um, and, and, and be able to come up with uh, or digest, uh, analyze, correlate, and, and, and discern multiple sources of information uh, to answer um, the question correctly. It's, it's, now, it's really uh, similar to... Again. Yeah, sorry. Uh, so is the, is the goal of this really to uh, understand if candidates can actually understand the, the fundamentals of the technology and how to ass assess them rather than just uh, memorization of, let's say, topics or, or configuration details? I mean, yeah, it's, it's I mean, uh, taking this approach, we, we, are able, we are actually able to identify if, if a candidate really understands the technology or really understands a particular protocol. Um, and sometimes, if something is not working, you can you can figure out what is going on, or even sometimes accidentally get it to work, or you can find a workaround. And then all of them, all of those uh, might be valid in a configuration and troubleshooting uh, environment. But in the diagnostic module, you really need to show that you do understand uh, and able to, to to digest the information that is thrown at you. Excellent. Now, if somebody fails the diagnostic, um, is their lab attempt effectively over at that point after an hour, or will they be allowed to continue through the, the configuration troubleshooting? Yeah, that's a good question. So they, they will be able to continue to the configuration and troubleshooting section. So diagnostic module will be one hour, configuration and troubleshooting seven hours. Both will be fixed in uh, length. Um, but in order to uh, become CCIE uh, wireless certified, you'll need to pass, and, and I need to be uh, careful with the words I choose, you need to um, make sure that your score on the diagnostic section is more than the minimum score that we set. And um, likewise, on the configuration and troubleshooting section, there will also be a minimum uh, score set. So if you score more than the minimum that we do set on a diagnostic module and more on the minimum that we set on the configuration and troubleshooting module, and you um, have more score more points on the combined 
cut score that we set for both modules, then you'll uh, basically get uh, CCNA wireless certified, if that does make sense. Does it? Yeah, it makes sense to me. So you have a sub-score for each of the two set main sections and then a total combined score, and you've got to pass essentially all three thresholds. Exactly. But, I mean, it's perfectly possible to, um, let's say, meet the cut score for each module um, separately, but not pass overall. So it's not, uh, let's say, the combined uh, cut score uh, is not just, hey, did you pass Dike? Did you pass configuration? Okay, you pass. So the, the minimum score um, or the combined cut score will be higher than, or in general, I expect it to be higher uh, than the minimum score of each module uh, independently. And, and, and to give you a little bit of background on, on the topic, uh, how we do set uh, minimum scores and, and, and cut scores, it's not just uh, out of the blue or that we use uh, the same score uh, for each and every module. It, it's something that we uh, look at with subject matter experts. So we do have an, an, uh, an entire uh, process in place to determine what the correct cut score for each module and uh, what the combined cut score for the overall um, a lab uh, exam should look like. So can can you can you speak any to what kind of feedback a candidate's going to get if they if they score low on for example the diagnostics module is that going to be broken out into multiple major topics or are they just going to get a flat score for a diagnostic module or or, or what I mean wh how will a candidate know that uh, and know where they have to go um, and and study should they not pass I mean, for the configuration and, and, and troubleshooting section, uh, nothing is going to uh, change, so that will be remain unchanged. You'll get a scoring uh, percentage per, per section. As far as the diagnostic uh, goes, Sam, honestly, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I don't know how, how the scoring uh, will be presented um, to the candidates. Uh, it's definitely important, um, and, and I'll definitely, I don't know, Rachel, if, if there is a way that uh, I can actually communicate this uh, to uh, the community other than, than presenting, it on our, presenting it on our website, but uh, on, at this very moment, uh, unfortunately, yeah. uh, I cannot... Uh... I, can, I can connect you okay. with the community so that you can keep them up to date. So definitely, I'll uh, fill you guys in on that. Great question. Excellent. So, so do we expect to see any other format changes in the uh, in the lab piece of the of the lab uh, lab piece of the lab in the rest of the lab? No. We, we spent a lot of time talking about the diagnostic module, but the rest of it's going to be structured fairly similarly to. Yeah, to, we'll, to we'll just be stealing one hour of time of the configuration and troubleshooting as you know it today. Uh, for the diagnostic and the seven hours remaining will be spent on the configuration and troubleshooting as you uh, so configuration and troubleshooting the, will be will be one eighth easier right yeah <laughs> I don't know I don't know about that um, so 
So there's, you know, the blueprint I think covers um, covers a lot of the changes as far as the the materials and the products and the, you know, the versions of code that are going to be used. Can you can you give us any insight into um, into the into the versions that were picked and why they were picked and the and the products and and specifically how that relates to a a potential candidate doing studying and you know obviously we have converged access to grapple with now and there's a there's a lot of challenges from an accessibility of hardware perspective um you know that the the laundry list of gear from a from a bits and pieces perspective can be really really daunting to somebody looking at it the first time uh mm -hmm. can can you give us any insight into into what you would recommend a candidate or how you would recommend a candidate sort of tackle that yeah, first of all, um, yeah, candidates need to familiarize themselves with uh, with the blueprint uh, as well as with the software and equipment list that you'll find on the Learning Network uh, website, which should be extremely familiar to all. Um, as far as, as as hardware and software uh, that we are using, we try to to keep it kind of of straightforward in the sense that we try not to mix. Uh, too many things uh, at the same time, but I'll uh, gladly let uh, Jerome uh, fill you in. He has a, has a, on, on the details uh, with his background. He's uh, the perfect uh, subject matter expert to uh, give you guys some guidance with regards to uh, what equipment and, and software to run in your home lab if you uh, do want to set up a home lab. Jerome? Yes. Um, so then, thank you. That's that's a terrible question. Um, of course, you know you, you can uh, start from from the option of buying everything which is in blueprint. Um, that would be, of course, the preferred option. But most of the time, it's not feasible. But if if you look at the uh, at the spread of uh, of the tasks and the uh, the amount of work or the amount of studies that is needed in each of of the pieces, uh, you find that you may not need to buy everything of everything and still be ready for the exam. Um, I recall in the uh, V2 of the exam, you could do pretty much 95% of of the lab preparation on the 2504 basic switch and a couple of access points. So that type of logic doesn't really change in V3. So you're right, we have more things like uh, CMX, that converge access, 11AC, um, and of course we have new codes, but that doesn't mean that you have to buy the entire expected gear for, for the exam. You don't have to buy tens and dozens of access points or a lot of 5508, et cetera. Um, with a basic setup, again, with a minor controller, a couple of access points as you can migrate from one mode to the other, from autonomous to converge uh, to cap uh, with centralized, um, you can pretty much prepare most of what is needed at the exam. The only major change, I would say, from V2 to V3 is, as you say, uh, you probably need to get a converge access switch somewhere. Uh, you know, 3650 or 3850. Then if you have a UCS or any VMware type of a of server where you can download and install some items, you can download, you know, a, a test versions of ICE, test versions of MSC, etc., and run most of the software applications in a trial mode to be to be ready to, to train. But you probably would spend most of the time on your controller and your couple of access points. So so you're not advocating everybody run out and go buy a bunch of 5760s just to just to hang out in your lab and chew up power, huh? 
I would definitely consider this as uh, the best option, of course. <laughs> yeah. But provided you can afford that, and you know the backup scenario might be something smaller. But again, as as you remember in V2, you also had the option in in many places to rent some lab time, uh, so, you know, to work on the aspect that you couldn't afford in your home lab, but that was that were you know needed for you to prepare. Uh, so you would you know, work most of the time in your home lab, and then you would rent some days of of uh, of lab gear, some places so you can get the access to to the devices that you don't have at home. Uh, Jerome, this is Andrew. Is there any um, discussion about providing a virtualized uh, kind of bundle or evaluation bundle for candidates to try to learn on, let's say, a virtual wireless LAN controller, MSE, prime infrastructure, identity services engine, all in home lab and more of a virtualized environment? Kind of like uh, they're doing with VIRL and and things like that on, on the other tracks? Yes, yes, that's 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 a very good point. We we've been trying uh to do that and actually we're talking to the viral team to to see if uh, if something can be done there. Um at this point learning partners definitely have some some option to get some 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 hardware from Cisco but from individuals it's a little bit more difficult because the distribution model for Cisco is very different. Uh so we say that today there is no um available option to get that kind of trial uh, hardware or or software licenses. Um it's more you know talk to your uh, Cisco learning partner uh type of situation. Uh, but of course that's something we're exploring so we would like to be able to 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 achieve that but I don't know if it's going to be possible. We have a question from our chat, um, and uh, let's see, Aaron is wondering if you partner with any outside vendors to collaborate on the training. Eric, Eric do you want to take that question? Uh, could you repeat the question, um, uh, please? Sure. Did you partner with any vendors to collaborate on training? No, uh, we didn't. Uh, I mean, that's a very straightforward question uh, in the sense that it does make sense. Uh, we do understand that a lot of people are, are looking for uh, CCIE uh, training on, on, on the subject itself. Um, but, um, yeah, due to different rules and, and regulations, I mean, we ourselves are, are not able to, let's say, provide or uh, help any any, any partners on, 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 on creating the content and, and uh, on the other hand uh, as well we still consider our uh, let's say we, we are certifying people we are, we are not recognize, we are not uh, let's say considering ourselves a training uh, department so at this point in time uh, we do not work uh, together with any any vendors and there is also no uh, 360 learning program uh, in, in place for CCI wireless at this very point in time. And as far as I'm aware, there are no such plans in the very near future to uh, launch an, uh, uh, a 360 uh, wireless program. Well, and this, this is Sam, and, and you sort of touched on a topic that I think is interesting that uh, that a lot of people that are uh, trying for the CCIE end up grappling with in some way, shape, or form, which is, um, you know, wondering is is it all relevant? Um, you know, the, the some of the content in the CCIE can be quite different than really any other Cisco test. Um, well, uh, sort of intentionally. Can can you talk about um, trying to keep that content? 
closer to real world and where you where you get that content and how the material is actually developed as a and, and how that might be different than you know the the CCNP program or the CCNA program or really any of the other ones. So as far as, as how content gets developed, I mean, for both the written and the lab, we do work uh, closely with subject matter experts uh, internally, but also uh, externally. Uh, externally at this point in time, primarily for the written exam. Um, and for the lab, uh, we do work with subject matter experts uh, internally, like uh, Stephen, uh, Carlos, uh, Jerome, at a certain point uh, in time, they were or are uh, all involved in 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 in, in, in altering content uh, for for the lab exam. We do. Um, they do not only provide, let's say, IDs for scenarios, but they do actually work on the scenarios themselves uh, as well. We we even do organize development workshops uh, these days where we uh, basically sit together uh, for an entire week and and work out. Uh, yeah, topologies and 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 content uh, scenarios uh, for a for for a lab exam. So it's not something that uh, where um, in the old days it used to be the exam product manager sat down uh, in a in dark room and and, and worked on the content. Uh, but these days, uh, I mean, uh, all of the content or let's say the majority uh, of the content, uh, especially for wireless. Uh, uh, is done by, by subject matter experts, uh, and 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 the advantage is that they really are the experts in the sense that uh, they uh, are uh, in the field or they do work uh, with customers on on, on a daily basis, uh, or or they they work with business units uh, on a daily basis, so they have a much better understanding of what's going on uh, out there, and that. Uh, yeah, makes it possible for us to assure that the, the scenarios that we do come up with are, are, let's say, close to real life. Now, the disclaimer always applies that this is a, an exam and that we uh, are uh, testing knowledge. Uh, so, uh, our, although our goal is to make sure that that 90 plus of the, of the test is actually relevant and. and and, and, and we try to avoid uh, testing candidates on, on corner uh, cases. Uh, you might find that by some of the questions in the, some of the in some of the questions there are specific restrictions uh, that might force you uh, towards one particular solution while there are multiple uh, available, and that you might not always find uh, or consider the best uh, practices in your. Uh, particular um, job, but still uh, the exam tries to measure uh, knowledge <clears throat> and, and, and it could be important to test you on it. That's a very, very thorough and uh, and almost evasive answer. I appreciate that. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, uh, um, you know, I think that uh, there's uh, there's uh, can can you talk about um, 
you know, it does any of that material come, for example, directly from TAC cases, or, uh, you know, wh where where do we see a lot of that content coming from, or is it just sort of all over the map from a from a from a lab scenario type of a question? Do they do they come from, you know, do do people sit down with TAC and say, okay, what what you know, what are your most most complicated scenarios? What are you what do you find yourself you know dealing with mostly, um, or or is it really just uh, you know anybody you know just all over the map that uh, that can provide content or scenarios so so this is Steve Orr again Eric, I can jump in for a yeah. second I, I can give you guys uh, my experience when helping Eric generate content for for the exams uh, being a, a field engineer what, what I try to do is use not any specific experience I have but I kind of look across the board at uh, solution and deployment challenges not not that come from bugs or tag cases or issues but more from configuration challenges customers or field engineers have and, and kind of use that as the basis for the starting point, right? Um, a, a lot of interesting things come out when you start looking beyond within the wireless CCI exam, beyond the wireless component. Um, you can be a very proficient wireless engineer, but when you start looking at the interaction between wireless and infrastructure or wireless and some of the other components like policy and ICE and authentication, um, that's where some of the interesting interactions come out on the CCI wireless exam. Does that make sense? It it does, and I think that's uh, that's um, a, a far better insight into you know I think there's a, there's a lot of speculation as far as where some of that content comes from. I think that's a that that's really good insight. Would um. You know, I noticed that there were some changes on the blueprint, um, specifically as it revolved around the voice client, and I found that a little interesting. It, it used to be, a, I think, a 725 was on the blueprint in version two, and and I think that's gone. Can you can can you talk about that change in particular? Because I I found it a, a a little bit different, a little bit of a departure from from I guess what uh, what people were expecting, maybe. Uh, Jerome, I'll let you all answer that question. Jerome, in particular, has been been, uh, been, been looking at, uh, at at how uh, helping us out with how to implement uh, Jabber uh, these days. How uh, it would allow us to make sure that we we just generate some. On, on, on but you knew I would be <laughs> taking the answer, Sam, right? <laughs> but, you know, as, as Stephen was saying. Um, if you looked at what the uh, common deployment was five years ago, you would expect 79, 21, 25, as you were saying, a dedicated client doing voice. Uh, what you do see today mostly is people either deploying some OTT type of applications like Skype or or even the link I would put in the same same kind of category or putting applications on BYOD that would require a form of server um, you know, optimized for voice like, like Jabber. Um, so although we still have a lot of deployments using 7921.25, we find that we see less and less issues with those because those devices are designed to handle voice traffic and voice application. So they are optimized for roaming, they are optimized for prioritization, etc. cetera. Uh, situations become a lot more challenging when uh, you put a BYOD in a network and you expect that just because it's nice and shiny, it's going to be optimally designed for voice application in real time as well. Um, so that's the uh, common situation we see uh, in, uh, in customer deployments where they deploy these devices, they see issues, and they escalate you know, the expertise uh, until they find how to tune their network and their configuration uh, to make them match the requirements of real-time application. So in V3, we thought it was more appropriate you know, to try to um, 
stick to that kind of scenario and, and mimic what is actually deployed in the field. Yeah, Jerome, this is Andrew. I think that's great insight that, uh, you know, modern wireless networks um, are comprised of, of more smart devices and, and uncontrolled BYOD devices and that the CCIA wireless really needs to take that reality into account. Um, and and I'll kind of lead that in with um, the comment that was made earlier about wireless integration with the broader um, networking environment um, to some of the technology changes, I guess. Um, Eric, can you can you speak to some of the the technical topic changes on the version three, uh, both written and lab? Because it, it looks like there's quite a bit of um, heavy focus, or some focus, I guess, again on um, routing, switching, integration, for instance, with IPv6 and OSPF version three integration. Sure, um, we definitely. I mean, uh, how do you come up with the blueprint to start with? Uh, same thing, we sit together with subject matter experts, internal and uh, external. Uh, we sit together for uh, three, four, or, or five days, depending on the challenge that we are uh, looking at. And we all sit together and we come up with different sections uh, that we um, want to target uh, in the new revision. Uh, for this particular uh, revision, uh, looking at the blueprint, uh, you will find what uh, what are the major uh, changes that the introduction of the new um, converged uh, unified deployment model, um, and then uh, other than that, uh, we came up with security and uh, identity uh, management uh, section as well. And as you highlighted uh, in the network infrastructure, we decided to give uh, a little bit more uh, attention to uh, IPv6 uh, compared. Uh, to V2, uh, IPv6 was uh, kind of touched upon in, in V2, but primarily in the written. So uh, do expect in, in V3, do expect to see some uh, IPv6 um, in the lab um, as well. Um, <clears throat> so, so Andrew, I'll let you blame me for that. <laughs> this is Steve Orr. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so I'll, I'll take. I'll, I'll take it's the, not, only, not only you, Steve, not only you, Steven. <laughs> <laughs> but no, no, we'll, we'll just leave it as Steven. No, we'll, yeah. we'll leave it as Steven. That's yeah. good. <laughs> so, so, you know, one of the reasons why I've been, again, from from, from being the, uh, the field guy, one of the reasons I've been pushing for V6 has been exactly to what Jerome's point was. You know, we, we want to do like a real BYOD environment. And, and for those, you know, that have been following what's going on in BYOD, you know, you can't. You can no longer turn off V6 on the newer endpoints, right? So, so pick, pick a pick a BYOD handheld vendor, and V6 is on and enabled by default. Your service discovery mechanisms like Bonjour, Multicast DNS, they're all using V6 as well. So, what we want to do is, you know, we're not asking everybody to be a OSPF V3 expert or an IPv6 expert. It's you know basic functionality. Can can you look at um, an interface and understand the difference between configuring regular OSPF versus V3. Uh, can you tell the difference between a link scoped IPv6 address and uh, whether it's Slack or DHCPv6? Uh, so, so that kind of context, not a you know go design this network and make sure you're using you know routable uh, IPv6 addresses everywhere. Does it make sense? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think we're going to see IPv6 adoption grow quite heavily. Um, probably, I guess, just a, a, a last question or two here before um, Rachel wants us to wrap up. 
um, with all the different architecture options in, in Cisco Wireless these days with Autonomous, Unified, Flex Connect, Converged, um, are we going to see any integration of the Meraki solution um, into any of the, the wireless um, track uh, at any point or into the lab? Uh, for V3, no. That's uh, the, the short uh, answer to the to the question. Uh, Meraki won't uh, appear in the lab and is uh, as such um, at this point in time not part of uh, of, of the blueprint uh, specifically. Uh, could there be any any questions about Meraki uh, the overall uh, platform in the written exam? Yes, uh, that is uh, possible. I don't uh, expect a lot of questions on on on, on Meraki. Okay. Well, I, I think maybe that, I'll eke that... in one one more question here before uh, it wraps up. Um, with the converged access coming into the the track for the topic list um, and new mobility, uh, can we expect uh, interaction between unified uh, or get centralized access and and um, converged access within the same lab environment? I would expect the unexpected. <laughs> um, <laughs> here's the cool thing about looking at it from an architecture perspective. Um, again, if you look at what customers are experiencing today, um, customers could have a unified access deployment, and as they're migrating their campus to newer switches in the access layer, say 3850s, uh, there, there is a potential for them to need to have interoperability between classic unified access and converged access. And that should be vague enough. <laughs> It should be yeah. big enough to understand that you better prepare yourself for it when you take that. Yeah, no kidding. Well, it sounds like there's a lot of a lot of stuff on the uh, on the new lab. Certainly, uh, certainly some stuff got refreshed and got pulled out of V2. Uh, any any last words of advice for those candidates that are looking to uh, looking to tackle it uh, uh, sort of fresh and new? Um, if you are uh, able, I don't know, if you are able to go to Cisco Live uh, this year in, in, in San Diego, uh, it might actually be worth uh, attending uh, the CCN Wireless Tutorial, where we will not only be focusing on some of the newer topics uh, in V3, but we'll also uh, be running a demo on the Dyke module uh, as well. Um, so this might definitely uh, give you some more uh, or better insights on, on, on what's coming and prepare yourself uh, for the worst. And by the way, for the record, those that are listening that haven't gone to the Tectorial or if this is the first time you're hearing of the Tectorial, I, I wholly endorse that, uh, by the way. The, the content of the Tectorial is just absolutely incredibly valuable for what that's worth. Yeah, can we are we uh, can we expect any new Cisco Press content around the wireless um, technology? Because I think most of the Cisco Press content out there on it today is getting a little stale or, or older. As far as uh, focusing on on CCE uh, wireless, uh, no, uh, not that I'm uh, aware of. As far as uh, wireless in in general. That's a question I should maybe open up to Carlos, Jerome, and, and Stephen, uh, if you guys are aware of any uh, Cisco Press activities that are uh, in, 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 in pursuit uh, at this point in time. 
Yes, very aware. And I would say, so Jerome here speaking, um, of course, no announcement has been made, so I don't know how much more we can say about it, but uh, Cisco Press tends to follow the technology closely. Um, they probably follow more the uh, certification uh, release cycles than the uh, code release cycle because we have a new code every four or five months, so that's too fast. But um, definitely they've seen that there is an activity in the certification world, um, and I'm, I'm sure they are going to follow up. So, um, again, no official announcement, but I would not be surprised if uh, some some new titles came uh, during this year. Okay. And that's vague enough, right? <laughs> <laughs> Another yes. Rachel, I think we're gonna um, we're gonna wrap up. This has been a great conversation. Thank you so much for keeping the questions and the answers going. Really interesting. So um, now. We are going to uh, check out. This has been Season 2, Episode 16 of Cisco Champion Radio. I want to thank everyone for joining, especially our hosts and our Cisco guests. Look for this episode and others on iTunes and blogs.cisco.com, and be sure to tune in next week. Thank you so much again for joining Cisco Champion Radio. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.